Welcome to the Southern Cowboy Podcast. I'm J.B. Farrell. Having been involved in the horse and cowboy world most of my life, I've been fortunate to meet some really cool people with some great stories to tell. And now I want to bring those stories to you. I started this podcast wanting to tell the stories of the cowboys and cowgirls having an impact on the Western world right here in the South. While the majority of the cowboy world is focused out West, I wanted to shine a spotlight on our neck of the woods. So pour a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's get into it. The Southern Cowboy Podcast is brought to you by Panther Creek Ranch, where we play, learn, and grow. Panther Creek Ranch encompasses nearly 4,000 acres in North Mississippi and boasts a multidisciplinary equestrian stables, summer camp, working cattle operation, a diverse farm education program, and a new equine therapy center. Just 30 minutes from metropolitan Memphis, Panther Creek is your respite to return to your love for horses, the outdoors, and the land. Come see us and experience a taste of big sky country right here in the Mid-South. Email info at panthercreekstables.com or call 662-912-5440 today. This episode of the Southern Cowboy Podcast is brought to you by Panther Creek Foundation partner, Daniel Bishop Horseshoeing. Daniel is American Farrier Association certified with 26 years of experience throughout Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas. He serves a wide range of pleasure horses to performance horses with a real focus on therapeutic shoeing. Having a quality farrier is essential to your horse's health and well-being. Let Daniel help your horses perform at their best. You can follow him on Facebook at Daniel Bishop Horseshoeing or give him a call at 901-292-4955. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Cowboy Podcast. I'm excited to be recording again, and we've got a great guest with us today to kick things back off, and that's Keaton Stone. Keaton is the owner of Big Ridge Performance Horses in Baldwin, Mississippi, where he specializes in colt starting and training. But he's also got a lot of other irons in the fire that we'll talk about today. Keaton, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about Big Ridge Performance Horses. So, Big Ridge Performance Horses started, I believe, full throttle, uh, like kind of fall of 2020. Uh, I actually created the Facebook page and started calling myself Big Ridge Performance Horses before we had home uh, in 2019 when I was uh, my last year of college at Mississippi State. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and in the meantime, I was just started training horses for the public and uh, really taking in a lot of colts just from the surrounding areas. and. Uh, it's fed into from there it has just grown and been a wildfire that's just it's, it's kind of hard to control sometimes but we try to keep it afloat so started in 2020 and we, cult starting is the main focus of what yes. you're doing and then in addition to the cult starting you you'll take on really yes so like I like to do mainly cults because it's a blank sheet of paper it's just like a painter with a blank canvas I get to kind of create just a piece of artwork there from the get-go that no one else has altered with and get to slowly grow from there and um you know i'll i'll have some horses that'll come and they'll stay for you know some people leave them for a month some people leave them for 60 to 90 uh to where i'll have some clients that leave them there for a year or two and uh, i've got one in now that's gonna be here for like three years or so so i'll get to really do a lot of cool stuff with it um but you know i'll take them and i'll rope on them if they want them roped on and uh just anything that I can do for the client and the horse to help them be set up for success in the future. And like you said, it's it's so much easier starting with that blank 
canvas than yeah. it is fixing problems. Oh, yeah. Fixing, coming in and saying, hey, my horse is really struggling with this. Yeah. It's so much harder to go back and fix somebody else's problems than it is starting with that blank canvas. Yeah, a lot of the times, like the ones that come in, you'll think, like, they'll say, oh, I've, I've started this colt myself. and Or my favorite is when... Uh, a lady will bring a horse and she'll say, well, me and my husband, we bought this one at the sale barn and my husband was going to break it for me and then I'm going to ride it to victory. And then next thing you know, when they're telling me this story, I look at the husband, he's got a neck brace on and uh, <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm going to say they didn't probably go as planned. So then they call me to fix it. And uh, usually, you know, like when a horse gets there, I kind of have to not so much backtrack. We do what we call an eval day. So the first day the horse is there, I take it in. I basically do my foundational program from the start and see, you know, where the holes are. So that way we can kind of patch over the holes um, if they have missed any. Some people have a perfect start on theirs and they bring them uh, that they've done. But a lot of times there'll be a few holes that we have to go back. Um, but, yeah, the guy with the neck brace, uh, that's happened several times. And usually after, you know, someone's caused a problem with the horse bucking someone off, they bring it to me, and then that horse thinks, oh, I can buck this guy off, and then it's a long road from there to try to get it fixed. But we can usually get that fixed. Where did the name Big Ridge come from? Well, uh, Dad, I was going to call myself just Keaton Stone Performance Horses, um, but if you've ever been to my barn, you'll see we're on a huge ridge. Right, that's it. And so Dad started uh, – he started calling it Big Ridge Hunting Club, which was the, you know, because Dad's big into deer hunting and everything. So started with Big Ridge Hunting Club, and then he said, well, y'all call it Big Ridge. He said, because that's, you know, that's the hunting club. I call it Big Ridge Cattle. He said, so I just put performance horses on the end. So we've kind of, that's how the name kind of got started, which if you come to the barn, that's, it's kind of a telltale sign of why right. I got the name. Uh, how did you first get into horses? Well, I got started about like anybody else i mean I, I don't remember the first time i was put on a horse um but i've been on them i guess as long as i've been alive um uh, i think i got my first horse when i was either six or seven dad bought me a bought me a welch pony and even back then like my uh grandfather my granddaddy hendrix he had broke horses for the public and rode for them and uh he would shoe horses he was also on the police department there in baldwin um then my Papa WD, he also would train horses, and they did a lot more like, you know, just kind of trail riding horses, stuff like that. And my, my granddad, he did a few barrel horses here and there. But uh, I wasn't – he passed away, I believe, when I was 10. So I didn't ever really get to ride with him or learn anything from him. But I always had the desire to want to. But when Dad got me that first pony, I was tickled to death. And I can remember riding it. I had a baseball game that day. And I remember, like, being six years old, having my little rubber cleats because you weren't allowed to wear spikes. I hopped on that thing bareback and rode it all in a passion before my game. And uh, it kind of all evolved from there. And I uh, had that pony for several years before I got my first horse. Whenever, let's see, my grandfather died when he, whenever I was 10. And that pony wound up dying the exact same day of its funeral. Oh, wow. So uh, my parents, they didn't, they didn't tell me that, obviously. They kept that hidden from me until I got a little older. But uh, they told me that they had loaned him out to another kid that was in, in need of a pony. Oh, my gosh. I was so gullible, I believed it. And I, was, it, I got to a point where I got thinking, why would my dad give like away that? Yeah. I was like, why did my dad give away that pony? He was good. We could have sold him for something. And um, so I didn't have a horse. And then my 10th Christmas, I, that's all I had on my mind is I wanted a horse real bad because, you know, my pony was gone. Didn't know where he was. Well, um, 
tenth Christmas, they said, "Hey, we got to go down here and get something out of the barn." And I remember walking in the barn. There's this big sorrel, gangly-looking gildan with a red ribbon tied around his neck, and uh, and so his name was Cowboy. He was 14 at the time, and I kept him until he's probably about 26 before I finally gave him away. But uh, started there. Started very young age, but you know, my whole family we've always rode, never to the extent of like showing or team roping or working cows or any kind of stuff like that but just just trail riding i guess you'd say so did you did you start competing in anything at any particular age or was it just kind of like you said a lot of trail riding well it was mainly trail riding and then uh i think i was 13 or 14 and got a my dad got me a big buckskin horse um and he was like 16 hands nothing but a trail horse all he was and me and one of my buddies from high school, we said, we're going to team rope. We had this bright idea. We we're fishing to get in this team roping crap. And, man, I won't ever forget. We stuck one of those little plastic dummies in a igloo cooler, like drilled holes, stuck it in there. I was roping this goofy-looking cooler in the front yard. Uh, went and bought ropes from Scruggs and Tupelo and thought we was really doing the deal. And uh, But we had nowhere to go practice. Had, like, nobody really teach us how to do it. We are just watching videos, learn how to do it on our own. And uh, my buddy, he went and bought a quote-unquote finished rope horse for $750. Uh, that later come to find out it was half-gated and scared of cows. <laughs> so you get what you pay for most of the time. But uh, the first cow I ever roped, me and him, we snuck on to uh, a guy's property that was like on a, on a bordering property there. And we would cut the fence, all five strands of that darn fence. Every time we went over there, we'd cut in the same spot. We'd go out there, and there was just this big open field where all these cows would be, and we'd line up and pick us out a calf, and it was boogity-woogity as hard as we could go chasing <laughs> these guys' cows down. And uh, The bad part was when we actually finally caught one, we didn't know what to do with it. Like, I had no idea. I didn't even have a dally wrap on my horn. That's how much I knew about it. But I finally caught a calf, and I dallied off and that thing went into hollering and uh my buddy uh wills his name i told will I said hey get off and get that rope off that calf and we had no idea what we was doing and he gets over that calf and grabs it and that thing went into balling and you could just hear the hoofbeats of that mama yeah and i i'm you seen will's soul leave his body <laughs> when that mama came over that hill and uh so what wound up happening i let go of the rope and Will is still holding on to the cow, and the mama's coming over that hill charging, and I just leave him. I'm, I'm headed for the fence. I'm, I'm, like, trying to get back out of that hole. And I leave him, and so his horse was Buddy Sowers. It runs, follow mine, so he's sitting out there running uh, pretty much just on his own two feet away from that cow. But uh, got into, you know, roping that way and then slowly progressed to where – um, did y'all get the rope back off oh we finally did okay it's a, luckily that calf's not still out there wearing that rope around her <laughs> neck but we uh, we finally got that thing off and i started roping i guess when i was about oh 15 or 16 i started wanting to get into more like a competition style and uh got a different horse at that point um one that would about half kill you in the box had a junker i guess you'd say but uh, bought a $4,500, really nice-looking Blue Roan head horse. But, uh, man, he would flip over, jump over the box, just crazy. Um, one of my good friends, Drew Phillips, him and his dad, like they kind of kind of like a family aspect of just the roping and whatnot. And so I got to go with them a little bit, and they would help me on some stuff and uh, did that for a while and then got into uh, – I went and worked for uh, Joey Hall with Joey Hall Performance Horses in Ball when he does Western okay. Pleasure. 
And so here I am wanting to do team rope and rodeo events. And I go work for a pleasure trainer because uh, I was also wanting to learn a little bit about colt starting and uh, called him and said, hey, I'd like a job. Well, two months later, he finally calls me and says, hey, man, come on back. And, you know, I, I'd love to have you come to work. Well, my first day of work of me not riding anything that bucks, he puts, he says, go out there and get on that gray horse that's got its head tied around. And I go out there and swing a leg over and start riding it. And, um, or I said, start riding it. Let me backtrack. I touched leather and that horse was gone. And he run off bucking. My leg got hung in a panel. He drug me all around this small indoor or small outdoor pen I was in. And uh, he threw me three or four different times in probably 30 minutes because I was dumb enough to, I kept getting back on him. And, uh, Finally, about the last time I rode him back up to Joey and them in the barn, that was my first day ever. And he said, well, how'd it go? And I said, ah, he's, he's fine. I had blood, dirt, and sweat all over me. It was 90 degrees. And he said, you look, you've had it rough. I said, no. He said, did he throw you? I said, no, I fell off. He said, what do you mean you fell off? I said, well, I was always told that you couldn't sell a horse that bucked, but you could sell one that you fall off of. And uh, Joey started laughing. He said, well, I guess that was pretty good for that horse's first day with a saddle on its back. And I <laughs> But I, I about got half killed there several times, but it was always just a good time, especially when I started working with working with Joey in more of a like a in a discipline specific area, I yeah. guess you'd say. Yeah. Uh so eventually you went off to college at state. Yes. And was it while you were there that you started taking horses for on your own from the public and yeah. doing a little cold starting? Yeah, so in between um so after I graduated high school, my plan was vet school. That's okay. all I had on my mind. Got to go to vet school. Uh, it's all I ever thought about. And so I actually went to Northeast uh, Community College. And while I was there, I worked at the local vet there in uh, Satilla. I uh, worked for there, but I also would take in, like during winter break and Christmas break, I'd take in like two horses at a time. So that way I'd, you know, be able to get a little bit of extra money, I guess you'd say. Um, but it was doing it then. And then when I got down to Starkville that first semester, I transferred, I believe it was, yeah, I transferred in the spring. So, knew nobody, didn't have, like, no friends down there. All my friends were still back. I went earlier than everybody. And um, so, I was like, I don't know. All my horses are at home. Like, this this sucks. I hate school. I hate all the people here. This is a nightmare. Uh, thankfully, my neighbor, who is the daughter of the vet uh, that I worked for, it's Dr. Shelby McMillan. She was in vet school at the time. She was my neighbor. And yeah. so I'm like, God, this is a nightmare. And like, uh, she would be on the night rounds of her like clinicals. And so every night at a, probably usually about midnight at one o'clock, she'd send me a text and say, are you up? Did you go get pizza? Cause I was eating probably three little Caesars pizzas a day. And, uh, yeah. I say, yeah. So she'd come over there and talk to him, whatever. So just kind of, you know, help me through that first semester. And then, uh, I started kind of thinking, you know, there's horses out here. How do I get involved with them? Yeah. Uh, I took Dr. Cavender's, uh, I think it was like a horse confirmation and eval class, which is a long-term version for horse judging class. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a big chunk to chew on. I didn't realize at the time what I was getting into, but uh, got in there as this little redneck kid from Mississippi that just, you know, I thought a horse was what a horse was. Didn't know anything too specific about it. Um, but went in that class with, you know, kind of my headset on what I'm looking for in a horse, not what the general public's supposed to look for. Um, and so, yeah, I went into that thing thinking I just knew it all and uh, got to actually, at that point, I got to touch a horse. We'd be judging it, and I got to walk over and touch one. I was like, 
my gosh, I need to be around these horses, and this is this is terrible. Like I just finally uh, somebody recommended, hey, Doctor Kavner has a two-year-old colt starting class. I was like, hey, that's where we can thrive. I feel like I can really get something done there. And uh, again, went in with that headset that I know everything. No one else can tell me anything. And it's a bad mindset to kind of go into college thinking about, I guess you'd say, just that you already know everything. A lot of people, just a lot of guys at that age in general, you're, you're, oh, for sure. you're leaving mom and dad's house and I'm headed off to college. I'm king of the world. I know everything. Oh, yeah. I know everything. Cannot be touched until something finally stunts you, you know, whether it be them trying to kick you out of college or anything else, which that happened on multiple occasions. But uh, thankfully, you know, uh, Dr. Kavanagh's class, you know, Colt starting winning that, you know, my goal going into it was I want to have the best two-year-old in this class. Um Wound up, I, I think, I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, but his name was Dog Food, out of all horses. Good grief. Um, <laughs> and it was kind of funny that, you know, all these, I got there, uh, I was the second group of kids that come into that class, and so everybody got pick of the litter. And, man, I'm walking around looking at these colts. There's one colt that's a dash for cash. He's long-legged, scrawny, fuzzy-looking, this ugly colt. I'm like, I'm not riding that plug. Um Walked to the back of the barn. There's two horses tied to this tire. And when we rounded the corner, there was one kind of a bald face that just kind of sat there and looked. And there was another one that was, he was sorrel, had a little bit of a blaze, long, fuzzy hair, but he was thick built. Um, that was dog food. He started sitting back and screaming and kicking that tire. I said, that's the one I want. And uh, towards the end of that class, Dr. Kavanagh's daughter would come out there and she's, I can't remember how old she was, like maybe, maybe three or four, I guess, maybe that old. And, um, he she would come out there and she could actually ride double with me on dog food and ride around and he eventually earned the name dog so uh we, we took put the food part out so that way we wouldn't get in trouble for there that one go. but um he wound up being a really good one but uh you know that class taught me a lot about just the horse industry about you know being in it feeding one how to market one how to care for one properly you know grooming them stuff like that it really you know kind of opened my eyes to more of a horse industry type way there, since since being out of school a number of years now and i don't want to say how many but <laughs> uh i uh there are a number of classes after being in the real world now for a number of years right. there's so many of those classes i wish i could go back and retake oh yeah mate Major specific. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't want to go take Chem 2 again or microbiology or organic chemistry or any of that that kicked my butt. I have no desire to go do any of that again. But so many of those classes that that I could go back and retake knowing what I know now and what I would like to go back and just focus on. I would love to select five or six classes that I would just love to go back and retake. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I mean... Had Dr. Cavender not come along and like me been told about that culture class, I probably would have never made it through college because that was like the only class that would really help keep my GPA where it needed to be. Right. Because like I didn't give two rats about anything else, but I got all my prereqs because I was wanting to go to vet school, but I didn't want it bad enough to where I was like, I've got to be dead set in these books. I was on my own. That's a hard mindset for vet school. Oh, yeah. I was on my own, just, you know, do whatever I want to, free man, you know. Uh, but I was like, I want to do vet school, I want to do vet school. And so the whole time I'm in college, I'm like, that's my goal is to go to vet school. But every time I would be on vet school, I would just, everything go bad. Like grades would get bad. 
uh, I just, you know, I started missing class. Like, it was just terrible. Like, I hated it. Well, you know, after that first semester, I'd come home and I told mom and dad, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to go to vet school. Like, man, this, this is for the birds. I'm out. And that's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I think I'm going to train horses. And my dad liked to have lost it. He said, you are not training horses. That ain't, no, we ain't doing that. You're going to do something that you, you know, won't be crippled by the time you're 60. You're going to do something, you know, as a, as a legit profession. And I said, okay, well, we'll think of something, I guess. And, um, in my mind, I was thinking, I'm, I'm going to train horses. In the meantime, we'll think of something, but I'm going to train yeah, horses. Yeah, <laughs> and so the whole time I'm going through, like, my next few semesters, I'm like, I'm going to train horses. Well, then everything's going good. Well, then they're like, hey, won't you uh, won't you go be like a dentist or something? I'm like, a dentist? I'm not being a freaking dentist. Think of something else. And, like, they throw up dentist or, like, go be some sort of a different – and some sort of a doctorate, of, you know. Um, and then I said, hey, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll be a sales rep. Like, I'll go and do, um, you know – do like pharmaceuticals or feed or something like that because public speaking was one of my like love that class i could get up in front of 200 300 people i could talk all day and you could give me a topic five minutes before and i could wing it for probably an hour and a half um but so i was going to do sales rep and you know try doing it next you know my grades there they go again and so i sit there and i was like well crap that ain't going right you know and I'll, i'll train horses every time i would go back to the horse everything started leaning positive and so towards my end of my year, into my into my senior year, I was like, you know what? Last classes, I'll have my bachelor's in animal dairy science. I'm gonna go find a sales rep job. Well, got out of school finally, thank God. Uh, apply for several jobs, and this was like May of 2020. Okay. COVID hit. Yeah. And I applied for several jobs. Nobody's hired because we're quarantined. And I'm like, what am I fixing to do now? Like, I don't know what. Like, what am I going to do? I'm stuck. Like, I don't I don't have nothing. Um, and I got to think. I was like, wait a minute. People don't have to be here. I don't have to see people to train horses. Like, they can bring them, drop them off. We can wear a mask on. We talk, whatever. I'll, I'll train horses again. So, at this point, Dad has kind of picked up on every time he does something with a horse, things are going positive in a positive direction. So, um, built the barn I'm in now and just said, hey, if we're going to do it, we're going to go full throttle and see how it works. And uh, dad said, you know, we'll, we'll try it for a little bit and see if it works out. If not, we'll have a really good barn and we can have good horses later on. But, um, man, I started, I made a few phone calls and kind of, uh, went to Facebook and posted it and might had, you know, maybe six horses here and then a few here. And then next thing you know, it's just a roller coaster. It's just like Splash Mountain at Disney World. Like we're just going, 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 all of a sudden just an explosion of just chaos. I mean, just horses everywhere, people calling and, um, well, and that was a t- that was a time when people they wanted horses. They wanted horses. They had nothing else some, to do. No, nobody else could go do yeah. anything. I mean, we saw it in all different. People were buying boats and campers, right. and but that was horses specifically. It was oh, yeah. what can I go do during this time? Yeah, and uh, like I said, you know, <clears throat> when I first started, I didn't really know. Like I, I knew I wanted to do some sort of a of colt starting. I wanted to specialize in colt starting and training them to where they could go into whatever discipline that the horse was kind of made for. So like if it's a, a cutting bread or a cow horse bread colt that I can put a start on it good enough for, you know, 60, 90 days to where it can leave my program and go into a more discipline specific, whatever fits, whatever that horse fits yeah. and be, you know, productive and potentially have a career in. But uh, my first start, I didn't have those clients. I had to take whatever I can get. And yeah. so uh, the first horse that set foot in my barn for training 
was a 17-2 warm blood, French warm blood. And uh, apparently there's different, you know, different types of warm blood. There's like Dutch and French, and I, I think there might be an English or something like that. But um, the French, I was told, are very skittish and they're like deer. So you can imagine trying to ride a 17.2 hand deer. Um, and the lady brought him, or brought this big, massive creature to me and said, he's got a little bit of a bucking problem. And I called her after the first week and I said, lady, I said, if this horse has a little bucking problem, I'd hate to see what one with a bad one looks like for y'all because this thing was a nightmare. And so on top of all these, I uh, eventually had three in the barn. Uh, and then everything else was like Welsh cob ponies. And I'm like, this is not what I'm going to do at all because these ponies were, they would like vary in ranges between uh, some of them, like they would say, oh, this one is five. Well, next thing you know, this thing will be 16 years old and never been touched. And I, you know, I charged less back then. I think I charged like 650 a month back then. Uh, and for the ponies, I told the woman, she said, I just want them halter broke. And potentially saddle broke and given where you can pick up their feet and load them and whatever um she said so five she said could you do it 500 months i said yeah i'll do it 500 months and i had so many of these things and i'll tell you i'll tell you what i've discovered there's a lot of dang money in those welsh ponies there is but you won't catch me trying to get any of it because <laughs> them ponies for lack of better term them ponies kicked my ass more than any grown horse ever has like i mean they were rough and they were all wild the, the woman had 60 of them Good. And great. none of them were hardly like, I don't think any of them were really halter broke or gentle to be around, but she had a ton of them. But um, after several months of that, I quickly realized warm bloods and ponies, this ain't where the, I'm not doing this. Cause the, even the warm bloods, man, they were just so big. And uh, my indoor, I've got an indoor square pen that's seven foot tall. And I think the only horse that has ever jumped and like put its front feet on top of that wall and climbed over has been warm bloods. And we went from inside the arena over that wall and into a stall. And uh, I was thankful enough I grabbed the rafter of the barn and got off his back. But uh, the ponies couldn't do that, but they could run through the fence. They could run through the wall with you. We, we had one, uh, the same deal at our house, uh, only had one ever try to make it all the way out of the round pen. And... He got his back legs hung up on the wall, but ironically enough, his name was Willie, and I said it was like Free Willie clearing that. Yeah, <laughs> that that one that was so big, he uh, which he was four. Like the woman, she was telling me what she wanted, and you know I'm trying to break him like a Western style horse. Well, yeah. I'm getting to where he'll one hand neck rein ride around, and uh, the woman's tickled death how he's riding, and uh, I thought, well, she's going to jump him. You know, that's what she told me. That was that's how he was bred for. He actually came from somewhere over in Europe, and um, I set up some pieces of PVC pipe on two fifty-gallon buckets. And I know there's uh, my barn help now. She does a lot of English and dressage type stuff and jumping, and so she's kind of informed me about different things in that aspect. But I just set them up, and I was like, "Well, I'm gonna jump it with him." And so I'm thinking, "Man, this booger's broke. I'm jumping this little bitty thing in a rope in a Corriente rope saddle, which is what I used to ride in." And man, he's doing good. And that woman called and gave me the biggest cussing of my life because I was jumping that horse. And uh, I think later on, she sent me a video of that thing jumping. I think it was jumping and clearing like a six or seven foot tall jump. It didn't have a rider on its back. It was free lunging it. I think she sold like four hundred thousand. And man, you couldn't have gave me that plug back then. Yeah. Like that thing was a nightmare. And 
but I, I don't take any warm bloods or ponies anymore. I'm out on both of those. But <laughs> well, but it's yeah. At that time, you you had to take anything that you could get in right. the barn just to and and hey, get the experience. I oh mean, yeah. It was each horse, good or bad, is going to teach you something right. in the process until you kind of get to where you've learned enough and built enough of a reputation right. that uh, you can kind of start getting what you want in there. Right. And see, like as as I went on. Slowly but surely, my name started getting out that I would, you know, I was riding that stuff. And, hey, like, I might get a quarter horse here, a quarter horse there. And I started riding them. And then word of mouth just kind of developed. And uh, my name started getting out there a little bit more like that. And I got better and better quality quarter horse colts. And I had wound up finally getting one that was, uh, I think it was a high drive cat was uh, was how he was bred. He was on some high drive cat. And these people brought him to me. And they were from South Mississippi. And, you know, they just wanted him broke to ride. And. I'm sitting there riding this horse and he's like, didn't take anything to get him broke and trained and doing stuff. And then I'm like, well, uh, what do y'all want him to do? And they're like, oh, we eventually want to cut on him. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about cutting. And they said, oh, you will, don't worry. And next thing you know, a cutting flag shows up at my barn. Um, And I was like, awesome. So now I have a tool that I have no idea how to use and how to get a horse on it. And Time I, to watch some videos on YouTube. <laughs> I, I went to YouTube, started watching that, and that wasn't helping me. And I was like, what am I going to do for this horse to help him? Like, I don't know. And um, I reached out to a good friend of mine, Rob Huddleston, and said, hey, yep. can I come ride with you? And uh, he said, man, yeah. And it was like, I think the second time I'd met Rob, went and rode with him. And uh, he didn't say it at the time, but I know the first time I went over there and I've got – this high drive cat colt in the rope saddle with a big thing of dowel wrap on there and uh i know rob looked at me like what is this hillbilly doing <laughs> and uh he taught me some stuff on the flag and got me you know helped me with that colt enough to where he was doing okay and um like i said rob didn't say at the time but i know he was thinking this guy's redneck and so i left from there and uh, everything Rob told me, I went and applied it, and I thought, man, I really got this down. Like, I've got it, went rack and rode with him again, and realized I know nothing still. Like, yeah. so every time I would think I was learning it, I'd go back and ride with Rob or, or anybody else I'd go ride with that somebody would teach me every time. It was like another mountain I was going to have to yeah. climb all over again. And uh, But he helped me with him, and then I wound up getting to show him um, up in Memphis at the Cow Horse Show, and it wasn't the prettiest of runs, but we got through it for my first time and that Colt's first time being a three-year-old ever leaving the house. We yeah. got through it, and uh, but that Colt, I kept him for a whole year, and my program went from riding all these warm bloods and ponies to where people won't send them to me to like get them to slide, get them to spin, get them to where they're more of a performance style of horse instead of something that's just broke that anybody can ride. Right. Um, and that kickstarted a lot of it for me, thank goodness, because... Uh, it's just it's so much more fun when you teach them all the cool stuff. Oh yeah. Um, but like I said, we uh, from there it's just kind of been a just a explosion of just horses to where you know I eventually had a waiting list that was a year out at a time, and I would have people call the year before to get on the list for next year, and uh, it's still like that to an extent. But I've kind of went, once I up my price, I'm trying to weed out some of the ones to where I can get a more of the type of more of the quality of horse that i'm wanting to train absolutely uh well let's talk about just your facilities and you know somebody that's wanting to send you a horse uh tell them what your facility's like and what what your program is like now well so right now i do uh like i said i'm primarily colt starting my facility is in baldwin it's uh 
think I've got – I added two new stalls. So 19 total stalls that I can fill. Usually I keep about 12 of them filled at a time uh, just because it's only me. It's I got my barn help that they help clean stalls, help feed. Other than that, I am the only person riding your horse every day. Um, and so – and which I'll, I'll let my barn help ride some, but most time it's after I work them for – uh, you know, 30 minutes to an hour to get across whatever my plan was for the day for us to accomplish. And once we accomplish it, I'll let them get on it and they might ride it out into the pasture around cows and then bring it back, put him up kind of like a recess. Uh, because those colts, that's one thing that used to, when I was riding two during the winter uh, and two during summer, I, I was riding them three, four hours a day, every colt. And they were just, they were broke, but they weren't getting anything accomplished very, you know, successful. They weren't they weren't very active. They were just deadheaded broke. Yeah. Uh, whereas now, you know, I ride anywhere from five to six, sometimes seven days a week. You know, each colt I try to give an hour piece, but um, I want to be able to give them a recess. I like for them to have a break. It's the same thing I do with kids in school. I mean, if that kid's in class all day, eventually they're going to lose their mind because they're not getting a break. And so... I like to have that, what I call a recess of whenever my barn help will take them on trail ride or I'll take them on trail ride to where I might just ride them in a halter. I just let them relax and let them, you know, think about what we just went over and learned so that way they're not having to just learn it, learn it, learn it, books, books, books constantly um, to where they just kind of blow up, I guess you'd say. Um, But, yeah, I got 12-horse barn, everything gets fed twice a day. Uh, we've got a sponsorship with Neutrina, so we make sure all of our stuff gets fed. Everything's healthy, everything's fat, because last thing I want is a skinny horse in that barn. Because um, skinny horse, they just they don't have the energy to be able to do the stuff I need them to do. But um, we start, you know, a lot of different colts from different disciplines. I mean, I've one of my best clients, they train and breed Western Pleasure horses. Then I've got other clients. I've got a horse in there right now that's going to be a futurity barrel horse. Like, I've got barrel horses, pleasure horses. I've had a few rainers, a few that belong to cutting horse trainers. I've had a few that's gone to, uh, they've gone out west and gone to different cow horse trainers, stuff like that. So all of my colts are trained the, to an extent the exact same way to where all they've got to do is be pointed in that direction by right. discipline specific. And, right. and that's what I like doing. I like to have them for about 90 days to, to where it makes the trainer's job that's going to push them into their career a lot easier. So I kind of get the the butt into the deal, but they get a lot easier easier in. You've got, I mean, you do have that cutting flag. You've got access to cattle. You've got yes. your outdoor roping pins. Yes. So you can get them yes. and going which, in a lot of different directions. Right, so. and which I will keep a few. Like I'll have people send me rope horses and whatnot because, uh, I mean, I've always roped and stuff. Like I said, I didn't start till. You know, most kids have a rope in their hand for the day they started walking. Right. I didn't pick one up really and truthfully till I was, you know, 14 or 15 or something in there. And well, so I, I was listening to a podcast with Patrick Smith the other yeah, day. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't start, start till later. Till much later in right. life, yeah. Right, and which it's harder to do as far as getting into the clicks and stuff like that. But I've got my own rope and pen, everything to where I can work on it every day, whatever I need to do. And um, But rope horses are probably... You know, I, I do mainly colt starting, but rope horse is probably my secondary income as far right. as that goes. I get a lot of those in um, just to kind of get them ready to be hauled. And I've hauled a few, but most of the time I get them ready, and then the owner usually wants to haul them from there. You just got a new stud horse in recently, yes. right? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. So that's what – that's been kind of a new thing that we're starting. Um, I bought a stud horse. He is an own son of Hickory Holly Time 
out of an own daughter of Smartmate, which is I think that mayor won a little over thirty grand, I believe, in the cutting pin. Um, but he is jet black, and I mean, looks like he's wearing a tuxedo. He's just clean cut, looks good all the time. But um, I bought that stud because I was I got into getting some broodmares because I was like, man, I want to ride a better quality colt, uh, and not too many people around here are going to have that quality of horse. They're not going to have. I mean, you. You don't see too many metallic cats walking around no. or, or hickory holly times or anything like that. Um, just in just in everyday people's hands. I mean, right. your normal everyday team roper, they're not going to have that high end. Most of them are grade. I mean, you know, there's nothing special about them. And, and I just got thinking, like, man, what if, you know, we just had a, a better quality of colt, like better quality of horse out here that the general public could have access to? Something, you know, most of the time in, in Mississippi, for example, like, you got the Blue Valentines, you got the Hancocks, you've got uh, those Dash for Cashes and all different kind of stuff like that. I mean, there's not too many uh, versatile horses, I guess you'd say. Right. Um, so with Hick, Hicks is his barn name. I've bought. I've been kind of very picky on my mares, and I've tried to pick out mares that I like the bloodlines. They're cutting. They're cow horse. Some of them might be rope horse bred, etc. And then I'm crossing them on this cow horse stud, so that will have extremely athletic extremely cowy horses and to boot they look good but they're at a higher standard than what you know i mean i like the blue valentine horses i have a lot of my career has come from blue valentine horses because i broke a ton of them a lot of people are scared of them but they're kind of like a pit bull it's however you bring it up and raise it like right. if you bring it up to bite people it's going to bite people if you bring it up to be a docile just citizen in the world it will be um and so I was hoping to just, you know, bring that aspect into it to where people could have these higher bloodline colts that, you know, everybody wants Yellowstone, for example. Everybody wants the horse. Oh, I want that one that just slid 14 foot. Well, that one's a, you know, a $2 million horse. Right. That one's an expensive horse. But you can get one similar to it as far as genetics go. It may be further down the line. Don't get me wrong. But it, and it might not be able to do exactly the same thing, but it's close. It's yeah. it's as close as we can get on the budget that a lot of people have. Yeah. Um, because right now, you go trying to buy, especially an own son of metallic cat or something like that, like that's like a car. That's a that's a car or some people's house. It's, yeah. Like you know, it's that's I'm trying to get it to where the public will have nicer horses, bring up the quality of horse in the state. Really is what my goal is. And how many how many mares are your own? Are you breeding right now? Right now, I've got let's see eight or eight or nine mares of my own. Okay, uh, we just bred the last two two weeks ago, uh, so hopefully breeding season's coming to an end. But so, uh, so your plan B to start a lot of these and sell them as started horses, or I'm going to try to market them at Weanling. Okay, um, so that's another thing that's kind of one of my irons in the fire that I'm thinking about is. I'm, I'm wanting to build another barn across the road that will be a quote-unquote weaning barn that my yeah. wife's going to run. Yeah. Um, so basically, if you need a horse or a, a colt weaned off of the mare, you bring it there, and they get weaned in pairs of two usually. Okay. So that way they got a buddy to, to kind of go through yeah. the process with. But while they're there, we're going to halter break them, get them a basic foundation to when you get them back, they're, you're not getting run over yeah. to where – Basically, they'll know everything they need. So once they turn to, whether you send it to me or send it to anybody else, 
you can send it to them and the colt already knows manners it knows the respect the handler and all that good stuff so it makes it a lot easier on the person but my plan is to try to market them as weanlings and I might keep one or two to try to keep until they're two. With, with the hope that a lot of them come back to you. Yes, that's the, yes, the goal in which, you know, anybody that's bred to my stud this year, like I've told them, if you breed to my stud, I'll give you a discount on training because okay. I want to make sure my colts get started correctly. Yeah, in which absolutely. I would love for my colts to get out there to other people and they yeah. start them and like, oh, these are really good colts. They're really easy to start. I mean, uh, just to kind of spread them, spread them out as far as we can. I think we've bred uh, close to – 19 or 20 mares this year uh we've been rocking and rolling and um i, I told everybody i'm gonna start walking around with a big feathery hat and a big furry coat and a cane and just because i pimped my stud out all spring long <laughs> so but uh he hadn't complained about it yet so uh one of the things i want to touch on that when you and i were talking the other day you just different aspects of the business but the social media aspect of running a business yes so i think like you know me being a younger guy, like I said, I'll be 27. I had to think about that. I'll be 27 this year. Um, me being a younger guy, I know how to use a computer. I can use an iPhone. I know how social media works. For the most part, I'm still – have to ask my wife to help me on a lot of it too. But um, I'm, I'm able to get on there and I'm able to post, you know, like a TikTok video. And, like, that somebody's going to see it and they're going to be like, oh, that's cool. And they share it and it just – they'll blow up and they'll get around and – I think that's a lot of the place where a lot of, uh, you know, older trainers and stuff, they're kind of, man, if they figure out how to have that social media marketing, it really brings in a whole new clientele. Like it, you can reach all over. Like before I hit and went on social media, I had just local folks. Next thing you know, I've got horses coming from Minnesota, Indiana, uh, Oklahoma. I had one come all the way from Idaho, like all over the place. And I'm like, how did y'all hear me? Oh, we seen you on Facebook. And you know, they'll, they'll reach out to me, and then I'm like, well, that's pretty neat. Well, like, why are y'all sitting all the way down here? Like, from from Idaho, you think about every horse trainer and coat starter, they passed coming all the way down here, and it was only because they seen something that really caught their eye and they liked on social media. Well, the, the, and that's the, the first thing, if somebody tells you about somebody. Right. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to look them up. It's not even going to a website anymore. It's social media. You're going to go look that person up. You're going to go look them up and see what their horses look like, see what the quality of horses they're training, how they look when they leave. Uh, If people post about them at the end, like, oh, this horse did. uh, It was trained by this guy. It started by him. It did fantastic. It went and won this. People are like, oh, if they got theirs trained by that guy, maybe I should send mine, and then I could win the same amount of stuff. And so – Social media really opened the door for that, and uh, but it also opens the door for a lot of, uh, I guess you'd say, just a lot of negativity and backlash you can oh, yeah. get. Um, like on TikTok, for example, I've got a man. One of my TikTok videos blew up, and it's got like over two hundred thousand views and all kinds of stuff. Like went crazy, and I went from having, I think, seven hundred followers to got a little under eight thousand now, and it jumped in three days that yeah. big and. All it was the video of me lunging my horse and saying, whoa, and he slid and stopped. But I had another video go viral where I was loping a two-year-old, and I said, whoa, and he stopped and put his back in underneath him, and he had a really good stop. And the viewers wound up somehow being from over in Europe, and whenever I posted two-year-old, most of the people in, I guess it's the English and dressage type world, they don't they'll, start, they'll start, them. They start them later. Yeah, because well, they're still those horses are yeah. still growing so much. And so what happened is I got a lot of people to view that video because every if you were to go look in every comment, it was like 
I think it was over 500 comments. They're all animal abuse. You're killing a two-year-old. You're you're an animal abuser. You're a nightmare. An animal Nazi. Well, there's all kind of crap. And I'm like, this is what age we start them at in the court horse industry. We start them at two, and then usually, you know, if it's a snaffle bitter, gets shown at three and four and all that good stuff. So, I mean, I was like, what the crap, man? This is insane. Like this video blew up, went crazy, but it's all negativity. And I had one recently. I posted that. I just load it's a horse it's a 10 year old horse that one of my clients traded a brood mare for and i'm loping it down the pen this mare doesn't doesn't know correct lead she doesn't know anything specific about being a performance horse but i've worked on you know kind of fencing her and running up and down the pen and teaching her to stop with her shoulders square and whatnot and i'm loping this horse down the pen as if i was making a heel run didn't have a sled or anything just going through the motion and man ran across through there and i stopped her and we actually measured it and she slid 14 foot and it wasn't the prettiest thing but she's a trail horse i mean yeah. she wasn't anything fancy but she did that slide and um man the amount of hate comments of horse was in the wrong lead and swap lead in the corner and i've just responded with there wasn't a corner there wasn't a cow like and you know i wasn't too worried about the lead as far as anything but you know, you open a door for a lot of, you know, judgment like that. You know, we talked about the, that TV show the other day. It's the yeah. same thing uh, as social media does. I mean, you put yourself out there, you're going to get negative comments. But 15,000 people have seen that post and have clicked on my page. Yeah. And so even bad negative comments is still publicity. Cause so that, that's what's the old saying. There's no such thing as bad publicity. Exactly. Like, yeah, you may, you may set yourself up and put yourself out there exactly. but even if they're talking even if there's some negative comments yes uh your your name is being spoken exactly and you and you're, you're you know you're doing enough good stuff that the yeah. good is going to outweigh the bad and but like uh, did you watch the elvis movie i don't uh, think i watched it and so, it's, it's bad because you know being from tupelo right everybody thinks i'm supposed to know about elvis i've never been to his birthplace i just <laughs> know he was in tupelo and then that's i'm supposed to so know him elvis was one of the first people to really like make a lot of money off of merchandise right and so not only was it all good stuff it was i hate elvis buttons right and so it goes back to hey we're going to capitalize even right. on the bad publicity if somebody's going to wear a I hate elvis button they're buying it from us right uh and so yeah there's no such thing as bad publicity right. to a certain extent right and which you know that's a lot of things like you know with with TikTok, for example, it's got a for you page. So you get one video and you comment on that video and then you scroll, you might never see that person's post again. Whereas if and one there was one comment from a local guy from down there in Pontotoc, he commented on there, he said, All these people are hating, but they haven't looked at your whole page. And if you go to my page, you see two year olds that are just doing just immaculate things, yeah. just riding around really good and really just soft and broke and um, you know, everybody's just seeing a 10 year old that's had 30 days right. that went from a woman said was a nightmare and would buck and would right. kill you to, you know, being a, a very willing citizen there to just be able to do whatever I ask it to do and, and not complain and not fight or buck or, you know, do anything negative. But if people click on it and go look and research it, that's when I get more followers. They're like, oh, well, you know, I don't, I'm not crazy about that post, but look at all these other ones he's got on here. Yeah. And like, okay, one bad apple out of the whole bunch doesn't ruin the whole tree. Um, but just the, the, pe the people that are really going to complain though, that is all they're doing. They're just, yeah, most of the time uh, it's most of the time. And you know, I'm not by any means the best trainer at anywhere. Like I'm still learning. I'm still, uh, like to this day, I will call anybody, anybody that trains horses and they might not even know my name. I might say, Hey, 
well, you did this at this horse show. I watched a video of it on, like, I was sitting on Facebook or something. Just curious, can you give me a tip on this? And they'll tell me. And I'll say, all right, I appreciate it. And I'll just get off the phone. Yeah. And that guy's probably like, who the heck was that that I just talked to? <laughs> who, what? I just gave information. I don't even know who he was. <laughs> and, but, you know, I'm constantly trying to get better. And okay. that's, that's the goal. It's like, you know, I'm still young. At least I, I may feel like I'm 50 years old in my lower back, but I'm 27. But we, um, I've heard a quote the other day, like I was listening to all them different podcasts and stuff because I constantly listen to them. But uh, the guy was talking about, you know, your your level of horsemanship. Um, you know, they say that you start out like a one, obviously, when you first get into it, and you might be a one or a three. And, you know, someone that really knows what they're doing, if you ask them, say, hey, what do you rate your horsemanship on a scale of one to ten? And, you know, they might say a five or a six. And, and I think it was uh, – Richard Winters that was talking about it when I was listening to it. And uh, I think it was Pat Pirelli that told him this. But anyway, said that, um, you know, if you're a six, you can get somebody to pay you to do, you know, to ride horses for a living and stuff like that. But uh, once you get to that horse level of six and say you want to be a seven because you always want to get better. Uh, Whereas when you were a one, you would level up going one, two, three, four, all the way to six. Now you're at six and you want to be a seven. It goes six and one-tenth six and two tenths six and three tenths, and you climb there like that and once you get up to a to a seven or an eight and, and you want to go to a nine it's like eight and one one thousand and so you're you know you're constantly trying to get better and it's the little things that you have to add to try to get a better right. horsemanship and level those are the little things you'll spend the rest of your life yes trying to perfect and you'll those. never reach the end no. of it never no. and you can only hope that you get better and and that's one of the things that uh, college did for me, like riding with Dr. Kavanagh, I had to have an open mindset to to training ideas. I couldn't be set on this is how I'm training horse for the rest of my life because you get left in the dust. And that's a lot of the problem with you know some folks now is that they they've been training horses for oh I've been training horses for 40 years. Why would I change? Well, why would you not? Why would you not try to get better and have a better quality horse? And I had a kid here recently came to ride with me and he said that. Uh, he was learning to start colts underneath an older guy that um, he used to train cutting horse or something. But uh, he called me and said, man, what can I do? This horse is throwing me every time I get on it. I said, if it's bucking with you under saddle, you missed a step. You need to go back and, and redo some things. And uh, he came over to the house, and I showed him some things. And, uh, like, I started two colts that day, and, and I put the first ride on them. And typically I like to spread it out, but I like to spread out first handling first saddling first ride all within that first week not the first hour yeah. uh, but he was there and i showed him you know i can do it that quick i just prefer to space it and let that colt relax but uh i showed him he said man we never went over this that guy never told me that i said well you know this is what i do and so you might want to try and he said well he told me that wouldn't work and i said well it just did and the guy he called me i think a day or so later and said man that I did exactly what you said and went back and just kind of backtrack and started some stuff over and went slower with the horse and tried to put myself in the horse's shoes to where, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, how is that horse uh, receiving what I'm asking it? And he said, man, it's, it's helped a ton. And he said, I'm not going to lie. He said, the guy I was working for told me that I was wasting my time coming to ride with you because you're such a younger guy. You don't know anything. And me being the smart aleck that I am, I said, well, tell that old man that uh, he's not too old to learn a new thing or two. And I don't know if he ever told, if he probably told him, he probably got fired right there on the spot. Cause, but I mean, like I said, I'm, 
you got to be open to new things. You got to be open to trying new things. If it doesn't work, scratch it and try something else. I mean, thinking outside the box is what, you know, lets people become better horsemen and have better quality of horses. Absolutely. But, um, but yeah, I mean, just, you know, stuff like that. And, and I've had, you know, plenty of kids come up that have went to other trainers and then they come to me to ride. And, uh, I don't give a lot of lessons at all anymore just cause I'm, you know, a lot of people are so closed-minded. Now, an open-minded kid that's willing to learn, willing to really try to accomplish stuff, oh, we can get some stuff go. We can get the wheels churning and spark a fire under something. Yeah. Well, let's talk about just some of that and uh, some of the challenges you face as a horse trainer and what are some of the biggest rewards? I, well, a lot of the challenges, I mean, you know, people say, oh, you ride horses because you don't like people. Well, you people sign the checks, okay? Right. You've got to deal with the clients. You've got to deal with people. And, uh, you know, you'll have the good and the bad and the ugly of all three. And um, and so, like, you know, I guess, the you know, a lot of the downside to dealing with some of them is, you know, not everybody's going to be happy with what you do. Um, but for everyone that's not happy, you may have 10 that are. If that's your ratio, you're doing something right. If your ratio is the opposite where 10 are mad and one's happy, you might need to change some things up. But, um like something like that like i've got uh, i've had a few different client situations like that where you know i've got good clients such as my ones in jackson tennessee and a lady up in minnesota like they are very just they believe in my program they believe in me they trust me to handle their horse they trust that i'm going to do what's best for it uh whereas i've had i've had one or two that one girl in particular i was training her horse for her for 60 days and she was big she went and worked for pat pirelli for two years and uh but for some reason her horse when she'd get on it it would lay down with her and this thing was a two-year-old like not a very it shouldn't be that lazy right it would lay down with her and then when she gets stand back up i think blow in half and buck with her and she said i just pat never covered this and i said well this is the ugly part of it like and so she sent it to me i wrote for 60 days and i had this thing just extremely broke and it would do a lot of cool stuff. Well, you know, I'm thinking this woman's going to be so happy about her horse. Well, I get a phone call, and uh, she said, hey, uh, when is it time for me to pick up? Cat uh, was the horse's name. She said, when will I be able to come pick it up? And I said, oh, well, I think your week's up next week. She said, okay, thanks. Hung up the phone. I thought that was odd. And I get the biggest paragraph about how she's wasted her time, money, and efforts in my program. And this was, again, when I was in college because she wasn't allowed to take lessons while I was training her horse. And she, that was a big, long ordeal. And she said that, um, you know, I told her that she could come once a week and ride her horse while I was training it. Well, back then, and even now, I mean, as a trainer, and a lot of trainers that, you know, most of them understand this now, after Clinton Anderson released his podcast, most of them have got it down. Like, your time's just as valuable. I mean, yeah, you've got to do stuff for clients and kind of go out of the ordinary, but... Um, I would, you know, get out of school, go ride horses, and I was done by five. Well, she didn't get out of class till six. Well, she wanted to come ride at six. Well, I'm done for the day. Like, I want to go home. I want to go and at that time see my fiance, go out and get food and go to bed and start the whole day over. Uh, Well, she gets all mad and just upset and cusses me and then says she's not paying. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to handle this. Like, what do I do? And uh, she later came to get the horse, and she's bawling, crying. And a lot of times with your clients, what I've realized is that you build a better relationship with them to where they become more than clients. They become friends or even family to an extent. And um, 
which that girl, like I said, it, it's kind of one of the bad deals, the downside of training for myself and doing stuff is, you know, that that's a client like that. She jumped all over me for no reason. I'm like, man, your horse is broke to death. And she wound up uh, loading, tried to load the horse, and I, I wound up having to lock it in a stall because she didn't want to pay. But, I mean, stuff like that with, uh, you know, negativity and, and being a younger guy too, you know, you'll have trainers do the same thing. Luckily, with me starting Colts and not being discipline specific, I don't make a lot of enemies because uh, right. a lot of people, like especially like in the state, they don't want to, I say the state, like trainers don't want to see some other trainer advance because that means they're getting beat. And so there's a lot of jealousy and negativity and everything. And man, I try not to make a single enemy with all these trainers because I want to know information from them. I hope they might can learn something from me. You know, fingers crossed, I might have something for them. But, um, you know, just that a lot of negativity i guess would be kind of the downside to doing this but for all the negative things there's a lot of positives i mean you've got you'll get a kid that comes in there that's really got the fire underneath them and you'll ride a horse for the family and this kid will get it and next you know they go and they win something uh, i trained a big blue valentine horse for a lady in indiana and uh he was just he was a big gnarly looking three-year-old blue valentine and man i had this thing trained to do kind of whatever and they took it to a horse show and they won the ranch riding. They won, I think they won like second in a pleasure class. Like, we do all this cool stuff that normally Blue Mountain House don't do. Then they won the barrels and the speed events. Like, this horse won all over the board. And, you know, you see there and you, you see that little girl standing there with those blue ribbons. And it's just like, that's why I do it. Yeah. I do that to put a smile on a little kid's face. I do that so the client's happy with their horse. Because the last thing I want is for someone to get on the back of a horse and think, I hate this. Yeah. Um, you know, because. Well, me, like I was talking about my roping and stuff, I had that, that blue roan horse, and I hated it because he would flip over in the box and just, it was terrible. And um, Luckily, a good friend of mine, Chad Applegate, he helped me kind of with that horse a little bit. Wound up, thankfully, somebody bought that booger. He was a nightmare, but we got him down the road, and uh, Chad would let me use his and teach stuff like that. And, it, you know, it it's a lot of just getting past the negativity and finding the positives in it. Um, because you, a lot of times you'll look past the positive things and only see the negatives because those are things that pop out to you and get at you the most. Yeah. We talked about a little bit on just increasing prices, the money side of things. Uh, talk a little bit about the struggles with coming up with price points on things, just the whole money side right. of training horses in general. I mean, clients, you know, expect certain things right. for certain amounts. And, right. Well, I mean... Uh, I used to when I started, like when I first started training colts for the public before, I, like when I was in high school, I charged three fifty a head, and I thought I was doing good. I wasn't making any money at all because I was having to feed it and everything else. Well, then you, I went. You were up, covering your cost to get education. Yes, yes, <laughs> and like those colts that I first started, uh, I apologize to those people who own those horses. They probably weren't near as good as some of the stuff I'm riding now. But um, I slowly went up, went up to like five hundred, and then. When I started uh, Big Ridge Performance Horses and built my barn, I was at 650. And, you know, even then, somebody told me, um, it's actually a girl that I went to school with, she told me that I wasn't worth $650 as a person, let alone as a horse trainer. And I'm like, well, that was, that was a kick in the dirt. Like, that was a hard one. Um, later on, she finally sent her horse to me, and I got it really broke. And uh, she took it to the original trainer that started in Florida, and I think they won the open ranch riding with it. And... Uh, she made a big post about, you know, 
thank you so much to the ranch riding or to the ranch riding trainer in Florida that fixed my horse. And I was just like, I didn't do anything. I don't guess I just fed it. So, but I went to 650 and I had so many people, but you'd get all these different horses, whether it be a, you know, people say, oh, it's a quarter horse. Next thing you know, that thing can flat shot with the best of them. That thing can, you know, we could go up to Chevville there and, and win a class. Or And so I started increasing my prices because, you know, next thing you know, the price of grain goes up. Uh, fertilize goes up. Boom, hay goes up. And you're like, man, I, I'm not making enough money to make ends meet. And then uh, when I first started, I didn't have barn help either. So I had 17 stalls in there at that time. I would take a horse out, I would saddle it, I'd clean it stall, I'd ride it, and put it up. So my days were really long. Uh, and so then I was like, I need to get barn help. Well, you've got to pay them. Uh, and so that's another cost of it. So right now, like my base price starts at $1,000 a month. Um, and that covers, I feed them, I give them hay. You don't bring anything other than a Coggins and, you know, your vaccine record, stuff like that, that I just have to have when people sign a contract. But um but and I've got to be able to pay my barn help because right now I can't compete with McDonald's. Right. McDonald's, I mean, they're paying $15, $18 an hour. Like, and back in the day, you bet I'd have been at McDonald's now, like instead of mucking stalls, because it's not a fun job. And finding somebody to do that job has been, I've, I've talked to several other trainers, that's the big problem is find somebody that wants to do that job to potentially get to where they can ride and train horses and et cetera. We were talking about that a little while ago, that people people think they want to get involved in the horse world. Yep. And they, everybody in the horse world started out cleaning stalls. Yes. I mean, that's, you're going to start to some degree, even if you're doing other things. Yes. You're starting, cleaning stalls, you don't, there's no way around it. Right. And even somebody at the top. Yes. Guess what? They're still cleaning stalls. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe not as much. Right. But you right. still got to pick up a right. fork every now and then and, and clean some stuff up. And, and which, when I worked for, like I said, whenever I worked for Joey, when I first started, you know, he called and said, hey, you want a job? And I made $8 an hour. Um, and so he was paying me. So I'd clean stalls here and there. And then I would go out and ride one. And one of the reasons Joey liked having me is because I'd like to think that I was good enough and sticky enough to where I could ride the stuff that was ignorant. Really and truthfully, I was dumb enough to get on it. And he didn't have to pay me a lot to ride it. So if Joey got something in from the sale barn that was, we didn't know what it did. Hey, Keaton, go get on that horse. And if that thing half killed me, I just got up and smiled. And even if I had dirt and crap all in my face, Got up, smiled, got back on the road again. I was just too stupid to quit. And uh, I should be a lot more beat up than what I am now. But, you know, I worked there for a year where he paid me. And then I quit for football season during high school. And then uh, I came back and said, hey, I called him one day after practice at Joey. I said, you got a horse that's like just really just, a you know, outlaw, just a plug, like something that's terrible. I said, I've had a terrible at school. I want to ride something that just really makes me fight for it. And he said, yeah, I got one. Come on. And I go over and start riding this bay horse. And next you know, I'm working over there, you know, and was over there for like two years after that. And I never got paid a dime. I worked there for two years learning, you know, different stuff about how to get a horse's hip over and et cetera, all that fun stuff. But I did that for free. Like, I would even clean stalls well, and, for free. And that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I hear people giving within the industry. Oh, yeah. Is so many people want to say, I want to learn to do this. I want. How do I get involved right. in the horse world? How do I get involved in ranching? How do I... And do, do, find somewhere you can either come somewhere like me and take some lessons. Right. Uh, or you're going... You're either paying somebody to learn. Right. 
or you're going to do work for free. Right. You're either going to work your butt off and not make you're, a dime, you're or paying you're going to pay something. somebody else for that You're knowledge. paying cash or labor. Yeah. And and that's if you truly want it. And yeah. now, you know, you can go and work. Like, I've had a wide variety of barn help. I've had, so when I interview my barn help, they come in, and I'll show them the barn, and we go in my office, and I'll talk to them, and I'll ask them about allergies and stuff like that, what all they have, and I'll say, you know, what do you want to get from this? Do you just want a paycheck? If you just want a paycheck, buddy, there's a pick. You can get paid all day long. And I've had some that, like, I want to learn more about horses. I want to learn more about, you know, riding. I want to learn to ride. Like, I, one of my best employees, uh, he was, a like, a city kind of kid. He didn't care nothing about riding horses. He just wanted to get paid. Right. That dude would have stalls done so quick, and they'd be so clean and so perfect. And, like, man, he'd just rock and roll. But he did not care two craps about riding a horse. And then I'll have some that say they want to, and then once you put them on the back of one and they realize it's really, it's not just sit there, kick, and it's not like riding the carousel at the mall. We've right. got to actually ride the horse, not just sit there and hold on. Uh, they quickly learn, hey, this sucks. Like, this is work. This yeah. is a lot harder than clean stalls. No, either the ones that can stick it out and want to ride and learn, they'll do it, and they'll find a way to do it. Yep. Uh, whether it be like like we're talking about, you know, working for free or paying for lessons, et cetera, and um People that, you know, not everybody can afford lessons. If you can't afford lessons, I would say, hey, can I clean up a few stalls and I get to ride a horse? I mean, yeah. most of the time, trainers will let you do that. Somebody will. Um, it's just in, in, you know, high school. I've had high school kids work for me that, you know, they've done 4 eights before and they knew how to ride. And, you know, I could really trust them to, to put them on something younger. And uh, I first... When I first started hiring people, I tried to do what Joey did for me, and I was like, oh, I'll put them on something that bugs. And I quickly learned, I'm going to get a kid killed. That's like like the the scene in the Cowboys with John yes. Anybody that can hang on to the count of ten, I'll keep that in mind come hiring yes. time. Yes, and <laughs> most of them were scared. To, I had one kid, and uh, we were, went on a little bit of a trail ride, and he was real timid, and I was trying to get him across this ditch. This ditch might have been three foot deep, and uh me and the other boy that was working for me at the time had done crossed it and had another boy there too it was it was four of us and boy it was real timid he was on the brokest horse i own a big gray he's like 17 one he's a gentle giant and we all crossed this ditch <laughs> he sit there that horse wouldn't cross it because the kid didn't want to that horse was feeling like the fear of that ditch and he was like well for some reason you didn't want me to go over it and he said what do i do i said give him his head bump for your legs just ask him to cross it and he sat there, sat there, and sat there. And finally, I got annoyed. And I told the other two boys, I said, let's go. And so we left him out in the middle of this field with just this one ditch that goes all the way across it. We leave him and go all the way around. And so we're sitting up on top of the ridge, and we're watching him. We probably sat there for 30 minutes. We probably could have took us a nap and watched this kid, like, just sit here and look at that horse. And he wasn't kicking, trying to accomplish it. He just sat there and stared at that ditch. And uh, I don't – I think we finally, like, went on down there to him, but – I don't think he ever did cross that ditch until the next time we went and rode. Uh, we got to that same ditch, and he said, "I'm not. I, I, I can't cross this ditch." I said, "You can cross it. Just do it." And again, I got annoyed, but this time instead of just you know sit there and leaving him, I went off and broke a limb off a tree, and I rode it behind him. On my most time, if I trail ride, I ride something that ain't hardly broke anyways. But I can, I'm on this two-year-old, and I break off that limb and. I get over behind him and I just switch that horse on the butt and he jumps all the way over that thing and so I, I told him I said man see you crossed it right there you just needed more encouragement and 
Uh, that's all he needed. And after that, man, he was like ready to cross that ditch. He, yeah. After he figured out he could do it, and it built his confidence up, even though probably wasn't the best way to get him just hitting his horse with a switch, but it got him across, which was the goal for the day. But, I mean, I had stuff like that, and uh, I've had a few bull riding kids. Um, those are rough. They Because they think riding, if they've never rode horses and they've only rode bulls, they think you're supposed to squeeze with your legs and mine if you squeeze with your legs they'll either pick their belly up or they're going to be like what is this because you know we just apply pressure release bump bump and drive them forward instead of holding and squeezing and so a lot of times in bull riders they'll get to trotting or something next thing you know they've done lift that horse's belly up and if it's a younger green horse it's he's fisting to act like a bull for the yeah. most part um but we've had uh, as far as that goes just you know We've had a, a wide variety of them, and then you know that goes into your cost, the and shavings, and and keeping the lights on, and water bills, and so a lot of people when I went up to a thousand, they're like, oh my gosh, a thousand dollars for training, that's insane. But man, you go out to Texas or Oklahoma or even the further you go west, the higher than prices get. And that's why a lot of people when I started in six fifty were sending their horses to me because I was cheaper. But I got to thinking, why am I cheaper? Obviously, like. I mean, they're liking the product of horses that I'm giving. What if I went up? And so I kept going up, kept going up, and got to the thousand, and it hadn't slowed down hardly at all. And it's it's weeded out a few of those horses that like you know the half gated horse, half quarter horse. You don't want those in your barn, exactly. That's what it, yeah. Exactly, and um, and like on pricing and stuff. I mean, like I said, I price differently for things, and um, like if someone calls me, I I mainly want two year olds. if someone calls me and they've got a six or seven year old that's never been touched and I want him to ride because I think my little girl can ride him in the barrels in 30 days. And I've gotten, that's a legit phone call that I got. And I'm like, uh, has he, he's not halt broke at all. Oh no, he's barely been touched. How long have y'all had him? Oh, we've had him since he was a baby, but we just like to stare at him from afar. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to die. Well, I'm going to charge. If I'm going to die, I'm going to get, I'm going to get paid for it. So I would I told that guy I said eighteen hundred and hoping and praying to God he would be like, No, I ain't paying that. He was like, You know what? Yeah, I'll bring it to you because That's when you, that's when you start thinking, I don't even know if that was high enough. No other idiot's gonna get on it. Well, if they'll pay it, most of the time I'll get on it. And he brought me uh, he brought me that horse and uh, I rode it and finally I called him and said, Look, Unless you want your granddaughter or daughter, whoever it was, to get killed, you need to come get this thing sent down the road. I said, yeah. 30 days isn't possible. Uh, and that's a lot of the problem the public has is unrealistic expectations. Um, whether it be a lot of people want to buy a young horse for, oh, the horse and the kid, they're going to learn together. It's, it's going to go that great. all the time. And it, you just... It's hard to learn together. Like, it really is. Because if the kid's teaching the horse or whatever, I mean, it, it can be a nightmare. And, Used to, I got a lot of those. People would only bring them for 30 days. I want a kid safe. And to do it, it's possible, but it's killing the horse. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a performance-style horse. It's going to be a, a deadhead. And people and people look, that you know, they start getting into horses. They start looking at horses online. They go, yes. oh, I can buy this two-year-old for this price. Yes. Or I can buy this seven-year-old, eight, ten-year-old for this price. Right. I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna get me or my kid or whoever this this two year old and we'll just yeah. learn on it. Yep. And you're gonna whatever the price of that ten year old was, you're gonna arrive there one way or the other. Yes, I and had I had one that just left uh, 
he left last year. The guy bought this horse that was cold back. The previous owner was going to break it and train it, and every time she'd get on it, it would throw it. It would throw her off, and so uh, it threw her on a Monday. She said, well, he may be sore. I'll give him a day off. So she puts him up. Wednesday gets on, throws her again, and so that goes on for about two weeks. Well, then she sells it uh, to one of my clients. He buys this thing, and uh, man, he, I told him, I said, why did you buy this horse? And he said, because he looks good, and I think he can make it. I said, but to fix this problem, and we wound up, the horse is still cold back. That's a lot of, he just, he is cold back. We've had him Cairo, and we've done the stuff. For like the first five minutes, he's going to be cold back. Then he's fine, um, and the, he, he's an older guy, and I told him, I said, man, you know, $1,000 a month, if you leave it here for a year, yeah, I can fix it, but whatever you've got in that horse, you've now got an additional 12000 whereas you go spend 12000 you can get a pretty good horse for 12000 It's getting to the point now where you might not be able to get that good horse for twelve. but, yeah. um, you know, it's it's a lot of that that people, they have unreal expectations, and uh, I've, for the most time, most time I tell people on a two-year-old, uh, hey, I, I require three months of training, so 90 days. Uh, and that's going to scratch the basis. That's still not a broke horse. That's not a broke finished horse by any means, but it's something that they can probably get by on, but it does need more training later on. And I think a lot of people think that, you know, that 90 days, but, you know, that's the same people that will complain about the 1000 Well, you're spending $3,000 on something. You're expecting that horse to remember for the rest of its life and never have another ounce of training. Like, I think that's a pretty good deal, even though I'm telling you up front, he might not remember all that for the rest of his life. I yep. hope he does, but if you don't maintain it, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yep. Um, and so that's been one of the things I've tried to harp on to a lot of my clients, And uh, which, again, when I went up on prices, it's kind of pushed a few of them out, except for the ones who have the wild hair of the six-year-old that's never been touched. But, right. um, but yeah. How about long-term goals and short-term goals? Uh, I would say long-term I would like to get to where I've got enough broodmares to where, you know, I'm just riding my own stuff. I'm selling a few foals or a few foals a year, keeping some and selling those. And, and I'll still take in a few outside horses. Don't get me wrong, but um, just to kind of cut out having to deal with, you know, the I had a Mustang crossing a while back. Like he was a good horse. Don't get me wrong, really good horse. But stuff like that that. I don't really want to ride. I want to ride good, high quality level of horses. Well, as so, you get older, the yes, you, I'm trying to find an escape plan. I guess you'd say to where, whenever I'm, you know, 50, I've got enough mares and stuff to where all I got to do is sell a colt all year, and that's my salary, that's my income. Um, like just just to kind of know, you know, some horses that come in, they're not even halter broke when they get there. They don't they don't know anything, which yeah. is fine with me, but they don't know anything at all. And then people see the videos on Facebook of these colts where in 30 days I've got to do cool stuff. Well, before they got to me, they had already had a saddle on their back, something, something small like that. Uh, they've had handling, whereas some that come to me that ain't been touched at all, I'm going to have to take a little bit extra time with them. Um, so long term, I would say, you know, I, I want to get to where I'm riding more of my own stuff and having good quality horses on my property that, you know, are selling for really good amount of money you know like some of the ones out there and um you know we're, we're steadily trying to find better mares and um i've got a, a little stud colt born this year that i'm gonna send down the road i'm gonna send it to brad lunn out in kansas okay. and let him haul it as a three-year-old and uh see if he'll make it if he if he won't bring him back we'll make a good gilding out of him and then you know yeah. the kid can ride him or something but um 
as far as short-term goals, short-term, I mean, I guess just progressively get better every day uh, and try to, you know, me being a younger guy, again, I get a lot of, oh, he's a young guy. He doesn't know anything. He's inexperienced. He hasn't experienced 50 years of training that this guy has. But I like to think I'm as knowledgeable as some others. So I think a lot of it would be just getting the respect of some of my, my peers, which I say peers as horse trainers. Most of my peers are 40s, 50s, like they're older guys. So I guess get the respect from them uh, to where I'm not just that kid up the road that starts cold. So I'm, yeah. I'm looked at as, you know, maybe not even an equal, but just as a trainer. And um, that's kind of one of my goals to get. And it's it's gotten the more the higher quality colts I've been getting, uh, people are seeing it. I mean, I've, I've got a lot better stuff coming out now. When you get a good horse, it's already a good horse from – bloodlines and yes and, and the, the type of horse it is yes. when you get that type of horse coming in your barn and it's so much easier to to get the results you're looking for yes in general uh and then you can send that good horse out of your barn and then when it goes to somebody yes. else and they're taking it going okay who put the start on it and then right it's what that trainer's looking for right that's yeah and that's a lot of i mean the cult starting i think in most disciplines gets looked over yeah. like People will say, oh, I want a barrel horse. I will spend 30 days on it and then send a barrel trainer. Well, then that barrel trainer is having to do stuff that the cold starter didn't get done in the 30 days. And, you know, people flip out if, if I'm charging 1000 for this because, you know, this guy charges 1000 for finished discipline specific. But really, I think cold starting should be the most expensive part of It's the basic foundation that sets the horse up. I mean, oh, yeah. if you build a house on a crappy foundation, that mug's going to crack and fall by the end of it. Yeah. And so... You know, I, th- I think that with that basic foundation, it's going to help a lot of horses get up and be better. And uh, a lot of trainers that, you know, used to start colts, now they've kind of done more discipline-specific stuff. You know, one reason they went into discipline-specific is because they didn't get the appreciation or the thanks from, like, you think about it if, I'm trying to think here, like someone trains a, a colt uh, for, like, Kelby Phillips for the cow horse or something, all right? Kelby goes to show that everybody knows Kelby's the trainer. Yeah. And yes, fantastic. But who started it? I mean, that's no one asked that, and which I don't know anything about Kelby and them or whatnot, other than seeing them on TV and whatnot. But I just know there's been trainers um, that I'm friends with that they've started Colts, and next you know the horse will go win world championship in the rain or something. And uh, they're so thankful for everything. But in the meantime, they trained it off until it was time to show. Yeah. And then they take it out there and show it whatever. And, um, so I'm, I'm going to say, you know, as far as that short-term goal is just get the respect from, you know, my peers as trainers and be kind of seen as a horse trainer. Yeah. Uh, between that and then, again, just get better every day, uh, trying to change my program every any way that I can. So, What's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you to start talking to about getting a horse in with you? Probably the best way, um, Facebook. Uh, if you don't have a Facebook, then... I've got, I've got Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, all that kind of stuff. You can reach me on any one of them usually. Um, if you can't, uh, I'd say most of the time you can type in Big Rich Performance Horses on Google or something, and it'll bring you to a page. It's not a website, but it'll bring you to a page where it'll show my phone number and you can call me. Uh, and then and say I can my phone number, it's 662-891-7454. Uh, usually I will answer the phone. If I don't, because if I've got my AirPods in, I'll answer it. Um, but if I don't answer, 
leave a voicemail or something because there's sometimes where I may be putting first round the Colt and it's like a stick of dynamite. We're waiting to see if it explodes and I don't have time to answer the phone. So, you know, just, just stuff like that. Um, but you know, just mainly cell phone or cell phone or, fa- or Facebook, either one. Perfect. Well, Keaton, I appreciate your time and insight into everything and I think it's some good stuff. Good deal. I appreciate you having me. All right, man. The Southern Cowboy podcast is brought to you by Panther Creek Ranch where we play, learn, and grow. Panther Creek Ranch encompasses nearly 4,000 acres in North Mississippi and boasts a multidisciplinary equestrian stables, summer camp, working cattle operation, a diverse farm education program, and a new equine therapy center. Just 30 minutes from metropolitan Memphis, Panther Creek is your respite to return to your love for horses, the outdoors, and the land. Come see us and experience a taste of big sky country right here in the Mid-South. Email info at panthercreekstables.com or call 662-912-5440 today.